The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I love getting to preach and share with you during Advent. It's a season that I used to hate preaching during because um, it, it, it was frustrating for me. I felt like the spiritual momentum was headed in the wrong direction. And, and somehow at Ecclesia, we've been able to rally through what we call Advent Conspiracy, this focus on what Christmas is really about and the reality that Jesus came. Now just try to grasp for a moment, right? The reality that the one who truly has all the power, all the power that made everything comes to us in weakness, right? And, and I'm reminded that I'm often drawn to people not because of their strength or their power or even their beauty, but because of their weakness, right? Think about your very best friends. Are they your friends because um, they're unbelievably awesome at everything they do? Because they're beautiful or powerful or rich? If they are, then you ought to examine your relationships. Most likely, right? They're friends because you go, they are, they are weak in some of the same ways I'm weak. They're wounded in some of the same places. And it's in that woundedness that we end up saying, there's a connection there. It's remarkable that Christ came to us in weakness, that ultimately Jesus redeemed the world through weakness and through his death. And so we're celebrating that reality in what we call Advent conspiracy. And oftentimes when I even say the word conspiracy, um, I think more so over the last four or five years, um, we start to roll our eyes, right? Because so many people actually believe weird conspiracies, right? And so when you hear somebody say like, hey, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but like, you know what's coming. It's some crazy, like, I really do think Bill Gates put a chip in the virus uh, or the vaccine and you know, this, or the, the world is really flat or there really is a deep state or there, there are so many crazy ideas out there. And this idea that, you know, there's this massive lie that none of us can uncover. Here's the difference with Advent conspiracy. This is what you need to know. That the American version of Christmas actually is a lie. The American version of Christmas that says that we're to celebrate Jesus' birth by accumulating a bunch of stuff, by digging deeper into debt, by getting so busy that we literally can't see straight, like that's a lie. And so what we believe is that it should be the opposite. And so what we've invited people to do is to say, what if, what if Jesus came, and by the way, if you were having online worship, you wouldn't get to hear a baby cry? And if you care about Christmas, hearing babies cry is awesome. And hearing them make noise and be kids, I love it. It's my, there were things I missed during our shutdown and not being here, and that's at the top of the list. This, this reality, we believe that Christmas should be about worship. And if we really worship, we, we thought as a church, what would it be like if we actually chose to spend less during Christmas? Because so much stress is created. Most Americans are in massive debt by the end of December. Now, I gotta tell you, Jesus didn't come so that you could have credit card debt, I promise. I promise that's not the reason he came. And if you have credit card debt, you know everything in life is more stressful if you have credit card debt. We, we said, you know what, what if we were people that spend less but actually give more? Because the truth is, the quality of your gift is never, 
never based on how much money you spend. Some of the best gifts you can give are not expensive gifts. And today we want to unpack what would that look like to be a people that actually spend less and give more. And the reality is most of us, hopefully, when we pause, we begin to realize that this American, this lie of American Christmas is truly based on the bigger lie, which is the American dream. And the American dream is this idea that the more you have and the bigger your house and the more expensive your car and all of it, the happier you're going to be, right? And, th- and then we, every now and then we account, uh, uh, encounter an anomaly, right? Like most of us, if you read much about Warren Buffett, you just become fascinated with the guy, right? He's, he's a billionaire who could live anywhere in the world. And you know where he lives? In the same house he bought in 1948 in Omaha freaking Nebraska. (laughs) Who in the world, you could live in the Bahamas and you live in Omaha freaking Nebraska? The stakes are good, but I mean, what else? What, they've got good baseball like for a few days every year during college baseball. What, what is it? And and he says like, it's the greatest place in the world. He bought it for $38,000, right? And and he has a car and it's not to show off. He'll drive it for 10 or 15 years because he thinks a car is just something to get him from one place to the next. He's a billionaire. And we began to wonder, like, what happens to us when we give in to this lie that says that the world we're in is about the accumulation of things? What if at Christmas we chose to actually spend less, create less financial stress, and actually give more. What might that look like? So this sermon today is intended to be immensely practical. I want you to just, I'm going to suggest four things. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to read some scripture to you. And I want to remind you, right? Proverbs 22 tells us this. It's really simple. That if you allow the American version of Christmas to creep into your life, it's going to create stress. Proverbs tells us that the rich... Lord their wealth over the poor. Now, this is still a reality. And the borrower, Solomon says in Proverbs, is a slave to the lender. Now, in ancient days, you might have borrowed from a family or a person and you ultimately would be their slave. Today, you may borrow from Visa or Amex. But if you're paying 28% interest, you're a slave to Amex. You're a slave to Visa. They will own you. They will own your attention. They will own your focus. They will own your stress and your anxiety. And so what we know clearly is that that stress has no real healthy place in the life of a, a follower of Jesus but the birth of Christ should definitely not be the catalyst for creating that stress. So four thoughts today on how we might practically be a people that spend less and that give more. So here's the first, really simple. As we think about giving gifts, and I think, by the way, we should give gifts. Let's give great gifts. As we think about giving gifts, would you think about being thoughtful and not impulsive? The the worst decisions made in December are impulsive decisions. And the the corrupt version of of consumerism that we've been handed, the the gasoline that fuels the engine is impulsiveness. Now, I've learned a few things in the pandemic. One is that going to the grocery store that I thought I liked is so much better if these amazing people from Instacart actually bring their groceries to me. 
And the other problem that I have at the grocery store is that I, well, the reality is they say, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry, right? Well, I'm hungry all the time. So the reality is I get in the grocery store and, and I'm convinced that even my beloved HEB, they move things around just to keep me confused so that I will spend as much time in the store as humanly possible. Because the longer you're in the store, the more you will 100%, right? If you don't believe it, go to what's the ultimate consumer trap store? Ikea. <laughs> Been to Ikea lately? Right? Not only they're like, we'll keep you there for a while because we got really good meatballs and the meatballs really are good, by the way. But they create a mousetrap, a maze that you literally, God forbid you drink a bottle of water and you have to go to the bathroom halfway through. You can't make it out. It's impossible because they know we will trap you. And the truth is they know that we are weak. We're weak individuals and we will by nature buy things we don't need and we don't even know what somebody else needs so we're happy to buy them something that they don't need either. And instead, Ecclesia, what would it look like if every gift we gave, we thought about, we prayed about? We thought about it, we prayed about it. And then we said, I want to give gifts that make the life of the person I'm giving a gift to better. Now, a gift that makes somebody feel really loved, something they long for is really good. A gift that leads them closer to God. A, a gift that they might use, this would be one of the things I tell you, if you give somebody a gift that they use almost every day, that's usually a great gift. But if those gifts were thoughtful, Proverbs 25 tells us this that like a conquered city with no walls, so is a man or a woman with, who has no self-control. The gasoline of the consumer Christmas is impulsiveness. It's a lack of self-control. And it, Proverbs says it's literally like a, a city that doesn't have any walls, there's no protection. What happens when your city doesn't have any walls in ancient days? Everything evaporates. The modern day equivalent for me was I had a period in time in college that I drove a Jeep. Now, I had all this idea that driving a Jeep was gonna be the best thing ever. I thought women would love me if I drove a Jeep. Um, it didn't really work. You usually have body odor if you drive a Jeep because you sweat all the time and you stink. And then the truth is, um, especially then, Jeeps weren't, my, my old CJ5, like whatever was in your Jeep, people would just take it when they walked by, right? It was just like, oh, I'd like that, I'd like that. It all disappeared. And he's saying, if you live impulsively, if you don't have self-control, the things you own are just, they're gonna disappear. They're gonna be gone. And the birth of Christ and December and Christmas should not be a time that we live by impulse. So let's be thoughtful, not impulsive. Secondly, this would be really, really key in our overall life and spending and what we do at Christmas. Would you do, do this? Would you abandon signs of status? If the gift that you give is about status or what others perceive, right? One of the reasons we're fascinated with somebody like Warren Buffett is that he's not trying to show off how much money he has. He, he doesn't buy a car to show you who he is. He doesn't define his identity. And if you are defining your identity from what you have, now all of us have a little bit of a childhood womb or maybe not all of us, some of you grew up with everything. A lot of us grew up and we never had the real polo. We had the guy with the crooked stick, right? <laughs> 
And, and those shirts, like they didn't really wash very well either. And we just went like, if I could one day have that real polo or the real Izod or the, like, and the, the reality is, right? If there is anything about the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear or the perfume that you, what, that's trying to communicate any other story, it's, it's not helpful for you spiritually. And so would you just say, when I buy something, when I buy a gift, I'm going to abandon any pursuit of something that communicates a certain level of status. Now, you need to know that covetousness, that envy, if we look inside of ourselves, and it's hard, by the way, to look inside of ourselves, and one of the reasons we get so caught up in December with busyness is it's easier if we don't have to look. But most of us can realize the ugliest part of ourselves are the places that we have envy and covetousness. Exodus says it really clearly. You're not to covet what your neighbor has or set your heart on getting his house or his spouse or his servants or ox or donkey, that'd be a car today, right? Anything that belongs to your neighbor. If we see what someone else has and go, I want, why don't I have that? Why don't I get that? It's bad for us. And Christmas shouldn't be a time that we lean more deeply into that. So what should we do as the alternative? Here's the third one. Would you do this? Would you just embrace your place in life? Just embrace your place in life. Whatever that is, would you embrace it? This is what Paul, Paul gives this great advice to younger Timothy. And Timothy could have gotten his life off track in a bunch of ways. And Paul's like trying to cut off the different ways he could mess up. And in 1 Timothy 6, he says this. He says, you see, Timothy, we came into this world with nothing. And nothing is going with us on the way out. So as long as we're clothed and fed, we should be happy. Say that one with me. So as long as we are clothed and fed, we should be happy. Now say it again. So as long as we are clothed and fed, we should be happy. Now, I would like to be fed really well, personally. I find great joy in it. Let me just tell you, if you've ever thought about applying for a job at Ecclesia, let me tell you how excited I am to be the pastor of Ecclesia today. We're having our staff Christmas party, and we have a team of sushi chefs coming. We have an Argentine asador making chorizo and lomo, that's filet in Espanol. And we have uh, our good friends, the Mantels, doing their, fa their famous empanada recipe. Hundreds of empanadas will be made. All I can think about for the last three days is what we're going to eat today. If you have filet and sushi both in your mouth at the same time, you are happy, right? Now, I won't eat that way every day, but I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, there is something about embracing our place in life and saying, I have food and I'm clothed and I'm well, and I'm going to choose to be happy. I, I got to, I got to preach one of the hardest and most beautiful funerals um, I've ever preached yesterday. It's for my really beloved friend, Sam Woods. Sam went to the Holy Land with me years ago. G's here, he was with that group. Keith was in that group. Um, we had an amazing group of people. Sam is remarkable in so many ways. I feel a deep kinship with him because we're a lot alike in a bunch of ways and we shared the same birthday. I'm a couple hours older than Sam. We just turned 50 together. And Sam died last week of a massive heart attack. And as we celebrated his life, um, 
One of the things that came up over and over again about Sam, Sam was super successful um, in every company he'd ever been with. And Sam had a freedom from his job that was super unique. In fact, he up and quit at the height of his success with a company called Mattress Firm. And he took time and he went and did other things. And, and the reason Sam would tell you he was able to do that is because he lived way below his means. Like way below his means. His cars and his house and everything he had was no reflection of his success in the world. If you looked at him, you wouldn't know he was half as successful as he is. And I gotta tell you, everybody in that room and everybody that knew Sam and one of the reasons they loved him is because he didn't project that to the world. And I don't know where you are. You may be a school teacher, you may be an entrepreneur, you may be a lawyer, you may be making minimum wage, but if you will set your sights on living well below your means, and this is the truth, if you're able to work, if you are able, and there are jobs, right? You can, live, you can live so well by global standards here. The American ideals have been bad for us. And instead, if we just say, I'm gonna avoid stress because I'm gonna have this huge amount, if not even try to live right at our, our place of means, because what happens when you live right at your place of means is that inevitably something bad happens. And life gets stressful. But instead, if we, you're not Warren Buffett, if you are Warren Buffett, I need to meet with you before the end of the year about the budget shortfalls. But if you're, you may not be Warren Buffett, but you could live at a significant reduction in what it actually costs to live. And this is what happens when you do that. You've got margin to be super generous. And you know what makes life really fun and meaningful? is being able to love people and serve people and be generous. It'll make you way happier than buying that new outfit. It'll make you way happier than buying that slightly nicer car. The ability to be generous and kind and meet a need for people, it, it gives life meaning and purpose. It's a beautiful thing. If we can create that margin ecclesia, it will be a true gift. And then lastly, fourth thing. So you remember where we started? Be thoughtful not impulsive, right? Abandon signs of status, embrace your place in life. Let Christmas be a time that you give in a way that reflects your actual means. And then lastly, will you do this? Will you give people what they really crave? You know what we really crave, right? Think about the people you love. I've told Chris and I've told my kids often, you know all I really want? I want your attention. All I really want is time with you. If you could cut to the heart of it, all I want are some times around the table. All I want is a road trip. I want something where we're together. And if you will give gifts, right? Don't just give a bag of coffee. Give a bag of coffee that we drink together because coffee consumed alone is just a way to boost yourself to try to get through the day. But coffee that you drink with people that you love, it's the way to start a day. When my uh, boys were younger, I, I tried one of these Advent gifts, tricks. Some of you may remember back in that day. I thought it was gonna be the most brilliant one that I'd ever given. I, I, I wanted my boys to play chess with me. And, um, and they weren't very good. And um, so I said, if uh, over this next year on Christmas day, I gave them a gift and explained, that if you uh, play chess with me, if you tie me, I'm gonna give you $2. And if you beat me, I'm gonna give you $20. And, um, and I thought it was the best gift ever. And it made them excited about chess. And, 
At that point, they had only tied me a couple of times, right? And I thought, I'm, you know, I crushed them on a regular basis. And it was fun crushing these kids and having fun. And, and uh, I underestimated how brilliant these boys were. And so by about March, they, they were getting really good. And it was really competitive. We were tying a lot. By June, they started to beat me. And by September, I never won again for the rest of the year. I was a freaking ATM pushing out 20s on a daily basis, right? It was the most expensive Christmas gift I have ever given in my life. And to this day, I will tell you, the time spent with those boys in that crucial time and year was invaluable. I'd do anything to go back and say certain things to those boys at that age again. And I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity on a regular basis to tell them, you're so freaking smart. Your dad's not a moron and you are beating him so hard. And I got to instill confidence in them and remind them about character because they tried to cheat a few times early, right? And I thought about cheating a few times because I was humiliated. Okay. I, I don't know what gift you might give, but my guess is there's somebody in your life that you said, I want to go on a walk with you three times a week and I want to pour your drink and I want to make you your favorite appetizer or whatever. People would be like, you would do that for me? Would you think and pray about what would be a gift that would be thoughtful, kind, generous, and involve what people really, really, really want, and that's you? It, it's true of our relationship with God and it's true of what God wants from us. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, do not throw me far away from your presence and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. The psalmist knew, if God's with me, I'm okay. And what we want to do is gather regularly and be close to God and near to God. And what God wants from us is a relationship. He made us and loves us and knows us. And what we're made for with each other is community, is for presence with the CE, not the TS. So Ecclesia, will you pause for a moment with me? Will you allow some of these truths just to float over you? I don't know which one stands out to you the most. To be thoughtful and not impulsive. To abandon signs of status. Your money does not define you and that's good news. If you're a person of Christian faith, you know you're defined and your value comes not from what you have, but the God that made you. To embrace your unique place in life and to give what people really crave. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.